0: Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders, with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. Today I'm joined by Claire Steedman and Rachel Alderburn, the clinical directors of TEDS, the eating disorder specialists to celebrate their first birthday. Claire is a specialist occupational therapist and systemic psychotherapy practitioner. And Rachel is a specialist art therapist and EMDR therapist. Claire and Rachel provide highly specialised eating disorder treatment based on an integrative therapy approach, considering you as a whole person with past, present and future challenges that may be preventing your recovery that they can support their clients to work through. Hello, Claire and Rachel. Hi. Hello, Anna. How are you both?
1: We're good, thank you. How are you? Good.
0: Good. It's, it's so nice to have two faces to talk to. I think I've only done One. Other podcasts with two people. So it's always really exciting to, to have three people rather than just two. Again, two for the place of one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um so I want to start by asking you guys about TED's. Um, so do you want to tell everybody what TED's all about? Why you started TED's?
1: Hmm. Yeah, sure. Um, so Me and myself and Claire have worked together for quite some time in the past. We are very good friends um, and that was kind of the root of how we connected so well. We um, were working together in a a private setting in eating disorders and we just established that actually the way that we were using our approach was quite beneficial. Um, And we worked in a really integrated collaborative way um, and found out that actually where we were kind of addressing the, the kind of past issues where I would probably be looking at kind of relationships, attachment, um, any kind of trauma, or anything in that, in the context of kind of their past and how that impacts on the present. Mm-hmm. And Claire was kind of, you know, with, with her nods to the past as well as like looking at where they are at the moment and then thinking about strategies, tools, roles, coping mechanisms, triggers, Anxiety management—all these kind of things that they can utilize in the present and then kind of take forward. Mm. So we were looking at addressing kind of uh, someone as a as a whole. Mm. So as we kind of emerged from that, um, we obviously realized that there's a real lack of uh, provisions and services within, uh, you know, within well, within eating disorders as a whole. Uh, huge waiting lists. Obviously, the impact of COVID come as well. Um, mm. We just were really kind of passionate about providing something um, within the community um, and hence we we were quite a while in the making but mm. we kind of thought it would be um, a good venture to come together and utilise our kind of skills um, together to provide something um, that's quite flexible mm. um, and would still engage people in their lives. Um, mm. So thus, that's mm. how TEDx was born. Mm.
2: I think think to add to that as well, I think, as Rachel kind of nodded too, is that, you know, as well as kind of having a friendship, you know, we also worked so closely professionally together. And we were really, what we were noticing was that, you know, we were only really seeing people um, when they were really, really unwell. And I think that was something that over time, Rachel and I, through the friendship and through professional relationship, reflected on quite a lot. And then, in conjunction with our friendship growing and, and our professional connection growing, we then kind of spoke about what we were quite passionate about in terms of changing things and what would the service look like, you know. And, and we both kind of connected on the fact that we want a service that was led by the needs of people, not by organizations or directors or we wanted people to set the tone and for their to, them to be at the heart of what we were going to deliver. And I think the other really important thing to note is that we felt that in a lot of settings, there was only a one, one approach or one set approach. So you might just be able to access CBT for a specific amount of time, or you might just be able to access family therapy or psychotherapy. Whereas what we were offering in this, you know, and the way that we worked was a very integrative model. And I think we felt that everybody's complex, you know, so we should be complex in a way. We should be able to together offer quite a broad range of skills to then hopefully not fit someone into a box. But hopefully, you know, <laughs> produce lots of things like lots of not fit someone in a box, but have a diverse range of skills and knowledge so that we can fit to people, so that mm-hmm. we can help that individual as they are unique rather than having to fit them in something. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think that was and, core. And we just really wanted to help bridge the gap in the provision and 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 make something that was accessible and and really we really care about what we do. Mm. So we wanted to kind of you know offer
1: that. Oh, yeah. mm. We wanted that to come across. Yeah.
0: Mm. And I think that's kind of what I think is so fantastic about TED's is like you said, you I, I think sometimes what can happen is rather than seeing the the person or the individual, you people may see the diagnosis and then be like okay so that you know that's the eating disorder you've got and you know we've got these evidence-based treatments so that's what you're going to get but Mm -hmm. actually you know somebody could have the same eating disorder but could have had you know different upbringing different trauma different other comorbidities which need Mm -hmm. to be kind of looked at as well or just kind of the treatment that they require could be different so I think that's Mm -hmm. why I really love what you guys are doing because you've got such a broad array of treatment options that you can offer. Um, And if somebody was um, kind of coming to TEDS, would it be possible to kind of have more than one treatment or do you you have like one at a time or how would that work for somebody?
1: Well, Well, I think you're absolutely right about the diagnosis. We we're always very mindful when we do uh, assessments with people it's it, people do not have to have a diagnosis we see a lot of people with you know it doesn't have, necessarily have to be an eating disorder it could be disordered eating we you know we do see people with diagnoses but there's a broad range as well and you know we've got clients that you know might have anorexia or bulimia but also binge eating and we find that everybody is so individual mm. so they might have a diagnosis but actually we work across the board of, of mm. the different ways that they present to us, and what they're all different. What we do is we work with the person. Yeah, We don't work with the diagnosis. And I yeah. think the nice
2: guidelines and all of that are there, and they're there for good reason. So they're not something we're not aware of. But again, it's about picking up relevant theories or tools or skills, if that is appropriate for that person. Mm-hmm. So referring to your question, Hannah, about our kind of treatment model, what we do is we assess people, we get to know them if they, you know, if they want to come on board with us, we have packages. So the way that we operate is we have four different packages, ranging from Ted's package one to Ted's package four. Um, Ted's package four is the more intense package. So that is, that basically means that they have more contact time with us Mm -hmm. and in different modalities. So they've got individual spaces with us plus a group space. So that's like the more, someone that needs held more, they, they opt for that. Um, the most kind of frequently used package, I would say people opt for is Ted package three, which is there's no groups. It's individually, you see Rachel for one week and one, one hour in one week. And then you see me for one hour and one week. So the way that we work is that we hold all that knowledge and skills and training and what, what we do is we work in an integrative way, we start seeing someone, someone sees me, and they say Rachel in the week, build a therapeutic rapport, get to know one another, build up that trust. We reflect continuously in the week. As we progress, what you might find is then we bring our specialist skills more into it. So that's, that's something that we've actually reflected on recently is that at the start, it's about building trust and rapport. You have me and you have Rachel and there's no tick boxes, right? We must cover this, this, this. It's just Mm -hmm. about us building that connection. Then as we get to know one another and that's established, what you will find then is as we're moving towards therapeutic goals and we're moving towards that person's version of recovery, whatever it looks like, we then will bring in our specialisms. So it might mean that, you know, EMDR is brought in, And then I'm then doing other things like check ins, thinking about coping strategies, thinking about other things in the present. So we're always operating on these three kind of modalities like the past, present and future. But what you might find is something's more prevalent in one session than another. And Rachel and I can kind of come in and out. It's very wooly in a way and very fluid, but it's essentially led by the individual and what they need. So if someone was to come to us on one day and not be in a good place, we're not going to make sure that they do EMDR on that day. We're going to just let them offload, talk to them about strategies, let them process things, and that's it. So we essentially just work with that person. So there's not a specific – we've got these packages, but there's not a specific uh, structure. The the kind of model holds us as in we have these – skills and expertise that can address things in these mm. different tenses. so your past your present your future and we're moving forward somewhere wherever you want to go to whatever your version of recovery looks like and as we move you will find that these things will be brought tapped into mm. as in, in accordance with that person's needs does that make sense
0: yeah no it really does and I think I think that's what like it sounds amazing that especially when you were saying that you know if someone's having a difficult day you might not do something like EMDR which is what I want to come on to later when we kind of discuss the different modalities of treatment but I think the fact that it can be so fluid and it's almost whilst you are I guess you've got those three past present and future it's very much like what do you need right now and no no like model that is kind of you know given to uh, on a guess like a societal based level is going to be able to know what you need in the now um so I've got a thousand and one questions (laughs) but um I'm gonna start so something that's kind of like sticking out to me so you said about the past present and future and I think you know future and correct me if I'm wrong here future I'm thinking that you're talking about like coping strategies going forward how you might deal with different situations present I guess is difficulties that are present right now um, with the past it's some, always something that I've and I guess I could like to know your opinion on it but do you think that you need to go back and kind of talk about what's happened um, to be able to move forward or does that completely depend on the individual?
1: It does depend on the individual. There's lots of stigma around therapy that people come into it and think, oh, I'm just going to have to rehash all my past and go through it all and bring it all up. And I would say it doesn't always have to be that way. However, if you are avoiding it so much, there might be a reason why you're avoiding it so much. So it's something to think about. Um, in terms of what we found that, uh, in terms of working with people with eating disorders, disordered eating, you will find that there is a reason why, a multitude of reasons why the uh, why there was the onset of an eating disorder, and and some of that is triggered by trauma um, or different attachment, um, childhood experiences, and uh, what we generally do find is that there tends to be a, a need to kind of look at past mm. things that then impact mm. how they are currently in the present, and 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 a lot of that ties up within Mm. eating disorders and how to kind of move forward from one so just to answer again and to answer your question not necessarily but nine times out of ten probably we've Mm. seen that it is and and maybe it's about the level of depth to that Mm. you
2: know as I think for example again which is why I think our the way we work is so important is that someone was just seen a psychotherapist for example and I mean I think all therapies are fantastic if if it works for you yeah they're fantastic mm. but one person was just seen a psychotherapist and they were really past based and focused then it might be but with if that person was to come out of there and be with us for example it might mean that there's more of a balance, and sometimes there's. It depends on the depth that you connect with that. So that there actually sometimes with our clients might be a, a succession of sessions where that was quite my phone, um, <laughs> where we would just talk about past stuff and how it's impacting on the present, mm. and then but then there might be people who gently nod back, and nod, and they go oh, that, that was that that affected this now. And then they don't really want to delve for an hour Mm
1: -hmm.
2: about it Mm. and i think that's where they have an option but as therapists if we felt that it was holding someone back then we would name that Mm -hmm. but i think again it's so
1: i I would feel it's just down to that individual Uh, yeah i do think as well about having that you just mentioned the word balance If someone say, for instance, I see someone on a Tuesday and they've had a really quite difficult session, having to go back and Mm. you know re kind of really think about something that was quite traumatic or very difficult, or maybe it's something that they haven't linked up before. They've Mm. just suddenly started Mm. making these links, and it's you know really quite difficult to realise that. They then have Claire perhaps on the Thursday, which means they've got like a day to kind of process things, to digest it, if you will. And then with Claire on Thursday, we can kind of say, okay really struggled with this on tuesday claire can then take that information and say okay what did you find difficult how can we help you manage today how can we think about moving forward what strategies can we put in place how how is your self-care all these kind of things that then can be claire can then hold that on the thursday so it it makes a you know obviously you've got that that balance there of that holding Mm. somebody
0: yeah Mm. and in terms of would you say that the kind of past, present and future, do they have specific forms of um, like a treatment modality that you'd use for each one or do they kind of mix a bit? How does that work?
2: I think they mix a bit, Hannah. Yeah. I think I think it's very fluid. I think because, you you know, as again, I think we're, I always say that we're very wooly therapists. You know? <laughs> we're we're, we're training in different things all the time because really i just want people to use me Mm. to to, if and if i've got various things that i can people refer them as tools i don't really like that but if we've got various things and you put us together and we're a really big mixed bag then that means that maybe some of that stuff might help someone because they're unique and individual i think the reason we focus on this past present and future because if you were to pick up a textbook and maybe look at what Rachel does you know as an art psych therapist it is about particularly past stuff and how it's impacting on the present and that is generally where it lies if you look at me and pick up a textbook and say you know an occupational therapist occupational therapists can work within all of those
0: Mm -hmm.
2: all of those areas but I would say that you know particularly if you're looking at occupational therapy they are about enabling you to engage in your most meaningful and independent life so that does mean sometimes processing some past stuff doesn't it it does sometimes and that's where my systemic background comes in because it helps me with that but it also means i think ots are very how are you coping right now how can we and it's about life balance and structure so and roles and motivation and the future so when we were initially reflecting on this together these just tenses popped out at us and we were like wow this and, and clients we were working with were reflecting that back it Was actually it was really nice to have a mixture of focuses you know so as Rachel said you might have been processing something in her session about something from the past and then you come to me you might offload a little bit more about that and I will be like, okay, so how, how are we coping right now? What's important to you? Why is it important you did that? What are we going to be doing this week? How's your meals? How's your eating? How's it? So you can see how they really complement. However, I do have to say, Rachel can do that stuff too. <laughs> and this is the thing. We can. And this is what we do is we, I mean, the, other, the Rachel the other day there was speaking about grading and I was like, whoa. <laughs> Back think, off my I job.
1: When you <laughs> spend a lot of time with each other and we know each other's roles so well, it does tend you tend to kind of work, you uh-huh. know, like Claire said, we're very woolly. We're so t-
2: <laughs> <laughs> there's no egos involved. We just want to, you know, and that's the great thing. I mean, working with your kind of best friend and you know, bestest colleague, is that you know, our hearts are in the right place and we can do that, you know. So it, it's it's about us growing and having that kind of richness of knowledge that perhaps if it can help that one person then we've done our job right and and I think that's that's what it's about is that so you know Rachel often uh, passes as an OT every now and again, <laughs> and I'm, I have to
1: say I'm not though I don't want to be broadcasting. <laughs> <I'm not satisfied. laughs> She's not. I'm pretending. No, not <laughs> at all. But
2: you see how it, it merges. You know, just yeah. because we are separate, and I think a lot of professionals in mental health, particularly, will relate with that—that that they do a lot of collaboration if they're working mm. well in a team and they learn so much from one another mm. and particularly in eating disorders because you have a lot of physical and psychological issues that risks that you mm. have to deal with and work through that you will often be doing things that particularly your nursing colleague might do or the dietitian might do and as long as everyone's aware of specialisms and mm. and where things start and crossing sort, over yeah you, yeah, you yeah. do have that kind of um that kind of collaboration, I think, within that kind of field.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, I suppose that's, I guess, why things like multidisciplinary teams and stuff are so important because then, like you said, you learn so much from each other, um, which you can then take forward. But like you said, then, you know, everybody's got their specialist area. So you can all learn bits and you can add that to your practice, but then, you know, for something specific, somebody would go somewhere. and I guess talking about the the different kind of disciplines that you guys have um I don't think we're going to go through all of them because there's so many um which is just I just think it's completely fantastic that you guys offer so much um because like you said it does allow you to be so fluid and and really see that individual um but I guess there's some like standout ones I suppose maybe we could talk about the ones that we said in the introduction um maybe just to like if people were listening thinking what does that mean um so when you say systemic psychotherapy practitioner what would that mean to you so that so that
2: is so family therapy is systemic psychotherapy and being a uh, so doing so i have completed my training to an intermediate level so that that so it means that you can practice the techniques and you have an understanding so but then so that's that's I suppose family therapy mm. which connects with kind of systems so it's psychotherapy but on a systems level so as in a relational level mm. couples more than one person so that's that's systemic psychotherapy practitioner
0: and when, I mean, maybe, I don't know if this is a too difficult question because it might be such a broad question, but when would you want to work with a family or with a couple in someone's treatment?
2: So again, I suppose for us and the kind of clients that have kind of accessed TED so far, I think particularly younger ones, maybe ones that are living within their family, you know, adolescent mm. end, Um, yes. Because obviously involving the family is really crucial in, in terms of treatment. Um, I think when people want their family involved, mm. we've worked with them. So whether it be that someone has a partner and they're keen to, you know, have even just support sessions mm. for them and their partner, um, whether they're parenting you know they've got young children so they want to kind of enhance their their abilities their skill set their experience their knowledge and working through whatever this recovery looks like Mm. for for the person who's kind of receiving or kind of treatment um so we we again again Hannah this is the thing like we're so flat we're so fluid in that way that we don't have a tick box like okay you yeah. can access us when you do a b c and d it's very needs led so you know if it's i think essentially yes if they're an adolescent so if they're in your that kind of 15 16 17 th- those kind of age ranges then we're looking at family-based treatment but that just because you are uh, an adult doesn't mean that you don't want to work alongside your family. And we certainly have people who are in families who have codependence and they want to involve their other halves, um, perhaps their own parents as well to degree to help them increase their understanding and, and kind of work on that support network so that they can move forward.
1: it actually comes into it you know not just in working with families but working in sessions with individuals as well because having that uh, understanding and knowledge that that will give you know Claire a sense of what their function is within their family their role Mm -hmm. and that might relate to what their their eating disorder has a function within that family Mm -hmm. and what's what's propelling that what's maintaining it and what's stopping that what's keeping them stuck um so it, it it kind of bleeds into all of that knowledge around around that individual as well
0: yeah I think like the reason why I kind of wanted to ask is um I guess more of a personal reason but I'm always very keen to kind of talk about family therapy and I guess the the reasons why people might have it um because I know when I was in treatment and they sent me family therapy it was very much to my parents this is your fault and you've got to do something about it and so we we went like, three times and then every time my mum and dad just came out so distraught and thought you know we don't know how all we want to do is help and you're not telling us how to help you're just telling us it's our fault um which I know that that is not how family therapy should be but I think there is sometimes a stigma that family therapy is like for a dysfunctional family which I think the strongest families can also benefit from family therapy because it's about coming together and supporting each other.
1: Yeah you're absolutely right it has got a stigma I think and some people mm. have had some bad experiences mm. as with any therapy mm. yeah um, but I do think what we find is working with families and we do some joint sessions with families and with couples and things like that because obviously you know it's much it's much uh, uh, causing an issue for the people that are living with c- caring for someone with an eating disorder is incredibly mm. challenging um, complex um, and they need support too not blamed um, and I think, you know, when you're, <clears throat> excuse me, working in that environment, I think what we, we generally see is that somehow it's a communication that's somehow caused the conflict. And it's about just opening the lines of communication so that people do feel supported. They're able to talk freely, assert themselves and get their needs met in a healthy way rather than using the sort of behaviour. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think, you know, the key thing, Hannah, is what you've highlighted there,
2: that theme. It doesn't surprise me at all. Because in all the years that I've worked within this area, um, and when I then started doing systemic training, people were like, oh, no, I don't I didn't like family therapy when I did that, and no, I didn't like it. It's rare I meet someone that says, oh,
1: really, oh, family
2: therapy is great for us. And I actually think, you know, I think that's quite a challenge. And and I I I've learned from that my ears are very open from that and and what I often do is when we have a session one of the first things I say is we just need to hold a mind here that this isn't this isn't pointing fingers and blaming yeah. and that's what I mean because I'm not this is this is the thing I think is really important about having a mixed range of things is that you know i I can be willing and reflective but I can be very direct and very you know which I think practical you know it can <laughs> I'm not very practical, actually. <laughs> um, too late. Um, but but actually, I always name things. I always say. So if someone, if there's a common theme, I'll always say, right from the outset, please hold in mind that we're so grateful everybody's here, and this is this may be quite difficult, but this is not about us judging you, and this is not about blame. This is about making everything trying to make everything better or, or, or more bearable or assisted, moving forward as a unit, as a system, as a family, whatever that looks like. And the other thing I hold in mind, I think, is that, you know, all families function in dysfunction. Hmm. You know, there's no such thing as a perfect family. And I often say that as well. And it's interesting because you highlighting that there, Hannah, just reminded me so many years of people saying this and then I can see how that feeds into our practice mm-hmm. is that I often name these things within 10 minutes you know say you know all families function there's no such thing as a perfect family we we don't come with instruction manuals do we mm-hmm. you know we don't come and all oh, right okay this is so and so and you do a b c and d and and they'll be happy mm-hmm. you know and often coming back to the onset of eating disorders or disordered eating, you know, there's often not one thing. It's an amalgamation of things. So really there isn't. And, and if you're blaming, I think that's that's therapy done wrong. Mm. You know, I don't think that's what therapy is about. And I certainly don't think that's what family therapy is about. You know it's about how can we enable this system? How can we open up channels of communication? Mm. How can we enable things for everyone? Um, and I think that, that's really important isn't it
0: yeah I completely agree I think you know if if they if somebody has an eating disorder that's already quite a distressing situation for a family to be in so for then them to you know have the bravery to walk into a room and go for therapy mm-hmm. to then be like well this is your fault then you know that's not going to help anybody no so it's just going to shut the family down yeah. and then
2: that doesn't help anyone, does it? Move forward. Yeah. It's a fine balance, you know. And you, I think, I think, as I've got older and I've became a parent, that can sometimes help, you mm-hmm. know, because you kind of have that personal experience. And then we all have parents, you know, whether they're with us or or no, not any longer, you know. And I think you you can connect with that. And I think every good therapist should, you know, because we all have problems. None mm-hmm. of us are perfect, whether you're a therapist or not. You haven't got the world solved. You know, you haven't got all <laughs> down, no. you know. You, <laughs> you, you Everybody is a work in progress. Every family is a work in progress. You know, we're constantly moving and evolving. And as long as your ears are open and you're curious, then I, I think there's always potential for growth. And I think that's that's really at the core of, of Ted's, is that we we're, we're always hopeful for people you know we we hold hope and 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 it's right at the heart of our service and at the heart of us you know we hold hope for people regardless I don't we don't meet people and oh, they've had this for 15 years oh well then mm. you know we, we go okay then right what what could we do what would you like to do you know and mm. and that's that's at the core of any good therapy I think or any good therapist mm. well,
0: I really like what you said then about um kind of having I don't I can't I don't think you use these specific words but you know like your own issues and stuff I think that transparency is when you're talking about connection to start with this is so important to know that you're just Mm. a you're you're just a human you know you have your own issues and you you go go through things yourself because I think sometimes you know when you go to a therapist you might think that they've got it all sorted and therefore you don't (laughs) want to share what's going Mm. on with you which
1: obviously it's not the case because we're all human um I think that's so so important to mention because there's often a reason that therapists become therapists Mm. (laughs) and there's a lot of processing that has to go into that as well to get to that Mm. point um and I think that's something again is one of our kind of ethos that we really want transparency we Mm. want connectivity Mm. obviously you know doing therapy you need that connection but we we do like people to know and I think it does come across that we are very good you know you know best friends and Mm -hmm. that's kind of at the core of things Mm. um, it's built on that warmth and connection Mm. so I think it's important that people know that you know we're people we have troubles uh, you know Mm -hmm. as because we're human Mm -hmm. effectively that's it
2: and and the other the other thing you know as I was holding mind is why would I tell someone everything when they wouldn't tell me a thing about themselves
0: Mm.
2: you know how how can you develop trust now there are boundaries of course there are we get Mm. supervision and you know training for that but if if I don't share anything of myself and present as something that's perfect then or or have some sort of objectivity of someone oh tell me about your problems Mm. then how is someone gonna try I wouldn't trust that person Mm-hmm. I wouldn't connect you know we, whereas it's we're all human you know we're all we're all we're all just trying to get through life we're all you know and and actually I often say to our clients that I want you to be better than me you know I mm-hmm. want you to be me and I want you to be better you know I want you to grow I want you to you know and I think if I'm, if I'm in that kind of place where I'm thinking, well, I know everything and I've got the world sorted and I'm, you know, then that's, that would really trouble me. Mm. I think, I think that's not, you know, and I think it's important that for trust to develop, you've got to trust your clients also to a degree. You know, mm. it's not that you talk to them about you're, you know, everything, <laughs> but,
0: you know, because it's not your session.
2: <laughs> um, but but it's about being humble isn't it and it's about Mm. being yourself Mm. because we all have this therapeutic use of self and we're all bringing our stuff to that so we've got to be aware of that and that makes us who we are as Mm. therapists I think and that's why we're all different I think.
0: I think you can always tell as well you know if and this is in any scenario but uh, if somebody's not being kind of themselves, you can always tell that there's a there's like an air um so you know in in therapy if your therapist wasn't being themselves I, th- I think that would then for the client they might then think well why should I open up and tell you everything when you're you've clearly got um a mask on mm. um and the I, I want to ask about the art therapy but I'm really really excited to talk about EMDR um <laughs> because I've had EMDR and, and as you were talking about, like, you know, therapists being honest and kind of being themselves, it it kind of just made me really like reflect on the journey that I've had with EMDR because my therapist has been incredible and so silly at times, which has been lovely because I think you know you just <laughs> let your hair down. Um, but I don't think it's massively heard about. So would you mind kind of explaining what EMDR is?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, so EMDR stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, hence EMDR, much <laughs> easier to say um, So it's it's um, it's a psychotherapy tool technique um, and it, it it used to look at trauma, but now it's actually adapted to several different things that you can use it with phobias, any mental health conditions. Um, several different things I find actually what it works really effectively with people who have had trauma however I mean, do find that a lot of our clients have had trauma trauma could be described in so many different ways but um, you know there's obviously degrees of different trauma but it's something that someone has found that they haven't been able to process and gets re-traumatized or perhaps gets certain stigmas that uh, certain sorry um certain things that stimulate them all of a sudden and they're right back into that trauma mm. and it keeps them very stuck and it's a really scary place to be. So with EMDR, what it does is, I won't go into all the ins and outs of it, there's lots of kind of you know theory behind it and things, but basically what it does is it helps to process a memory. So it helps to put basically a trauma or a certain memory that keeps getting stuck and looping puts it in all the the proper little channels in the head, in like a filing system almost. So it enables that memory to feel desensitized. So it's not causing so much um, emotion to be involved and and the kind of um, arousal that comes up with that. Um, And then it, it puts it in the correct place within the memory channel. So it becomes less powerful should we say does that kind of explain it in a nutshell really really simply it does but I kind of I
0: kind of feel like I want a bit more if if that's okay <laughs> like I, I as you said, I was like when you said I won't go into it I was like I kind of want you to maybe not for like an hour but you know if people are listening I if I was listening to this I'd be like I feel like I want a bit
1: more <laughs> <laughs> okay so kind of what would happen in the EMDR there's certain stages in the EMDR so we've got eight phases so what would happen is you um obviously not all our clients are going to be suitable for EMDR there's certain things you need to to be mindful of uh, obviously if they want it that's you know they have to want it <laughs> that's mm-hmm. the first stage um and certain things certain criteria that you know i look for in an assessment um and then uh the different phases you would go through is the history taking um to get an idea of what's going on and where you've, you know sort of making an assessment of where the kind of targets and things that need to be processed would be. And then you've kind of got planning stage where you would then plan where you would go with it, where you'd go with the therapy, you put in interventions, things in place, like say, for instance, safe place. So safe place is something, it's a tool that can be used. So someone's had quite a difficult session and perhaps they haven't fully processed, so it has to go over to another session or if it's just for, it's just good practice to get into. So a safe place would be a technique that someone could then go to and, and then easily access that over um, practicing that. Um, And then you would go on to like the, the processing stages and, and so on and so forth. So you process the memory, and then you would go on to things like the body scan things like that but basically the, the main thing that people kind of focus on is the processing of it but it's a lot more it's a lot more of a uh journey than that should we say mm. um and it's you know some people find that they process something very very quickly whereas other people might take a lot longer depending on the level of trauma the level of stability that all needs to be looked at as well so someone perhaps um quite commonly dissociate. It, you, obviously you can sort of do it, but you have to be mindful, be using certain techniques to reground people. Um does that give you a little bit more information or are yeah, you still no I I just it's one of those things I could
0: talk about for so long, which is why I think I wanted to um because I think when I first kind of like went for my assessment, um, I'd gone to my therapist for CBT um, and she was like, you know, we can do CBT, that's completely fine, but I think that you'd be better suited to EMDR. And at the time I was like, kind of, you know, I had my suspicions about it when she was explaining it um and then I think she clocked on that I was a bit of a science nerd and she was like okay here you go here's some papers go home and read them and then I was like okay though I really want to try this and I think you know from my experience sometimes depending on kind of what we were reprocessing sometimes I was like oh I'm not sure whether this is working when I was in the session and then kind of over the next few days you then it's like 72
1: hours isn't it that you're then sort of like reprocessing it. Keeps processing during the week. That's why you take notes Yeah. And you come to the next session and that's it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But then there'd be times, you know, in the session where I just couldn't stop myself from like crying or something. Um mm. so it's such a such a powerful technique. And I don't know what you think, but do you have any kind of thoughts on why it's maybe not super accessible or super known about yet?
1: Um, I think if you, if you kind of, if you are aware of it, then you know where to look. Like Mm. if you're aware, you hear about it a little bit more, but it's, it's still a relatively new tool in the Mm. grand scheme of things. If we're looking at therapeutic tools and and what's a psychotherapy tool. Um, So it's still relatively new. Um, I guess... It is increasing. There's a lot of research out there. If you're interested in looking at the research, a lot more being um, used. Uh, I also think it's, it's quite difficult because um, something like, say, for instance, CBT, you look at something on the NHS, it's measurable, it's, you know, it's really easy to kind of like put into a number of sessions. Um, something that's a little bit more, Woolies, the, mm. the word that Claire uses, is <laughs> quite it's quite hard to it becomes less accessible in terms of mm. um, you know on the NHS or and you, you're paying privately which means you're probably paying for a, a little bit more. Mm.
2: Mm. There isn't a lot of training either I suppose the training sessions there, there are trainings to do it but it's not like they've got vast you know if you think about the amount of people studying psychology mm. if I think of Edinburgh alone We've got three universities in the one Mm. city and they take 200 students in every year. Wow. If you think about the amount of, you know, that in comparison to something like EMDR, where I think there's a, a, I think a couple of places. There's a handful. Like that that, that run the trainings. That's probably something as well that comes into it is that, you know, they're not quite established yet. I think Mm. people know about it within our field, Mm -hmm. but it's kind of, up and oh, still quite new isn't it it is quite new yeah but very effective as you say I mean I'm yeah. looking at your reaction there and clearly it's had like a significant mm. effect which is which is amazing
0: yeah I mean I I, like I said I could talk about it for hours because and whenever anybody kind of says you know I'm I'm kind of thinking about therapy I'm like well maybe you, and it's based on trauma or memory or whatever I will always say you should definitely consider EMDR because you know whilst it is unfortunately more expensive I think it, it can be such a such a powerful um tool and I think what you were saying about um kind of you know maybe it's not there's not as many places doing the training and stuff like that um I think you're so right and hopefully with time you know more research will come out about how effective it is um mm-hmm. and my kind of hope for the future would be that it would it would be something that was offered in the NHS mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I guess you know with that you've then got to consider the training and the funding and stuff like that so you know unfortunately it's probably not going to be something that happens overnight um but I've only really heard people have really positive things said. And also I think because it is that kind of intense um approach, you potentially need less mm-hmm. to have a better impact overall. So once you know it's all set up and in the system, I think actually I'm not gonna get all technical on money, but I think it could be a benefit.
2: Mm. Yeah. And I think I think with as with anything, when it comes to the NHS, these are the things that stand out, aren't they? Mm. You know, you, these things that are time limited, mm. you know, uh, rather than things that are open ended. And I think if that, you know, that's really interesting that I'm thinking about the fact that if you could almost sell it and get some research, some evidence mm. buying, to show that it could kind of be quite short and intense then maybe then could you do i suppose unfortunately people we have to think like that don't we yeah because there may not be that kind of scope if people don't know how long it might take they might that's sadly the kind of systems we're working in but i suppose i feel very grateful that we offer it and and we don't have we don't we don't we're very very mindful about cost Mm -hmm. we we want people from all different socioeconomic backgrounds to be able to access us. And we've worked very hard to keep the costs down. And so I think what I'm really grateful for is that, you know, we've got EMDR, we've got a range of things, hmm. and we're not charging over and above, just yep. so someone can access that.
1: And something you're going to train into
2: soon enough. I'm going to do it this year, yeah.
1: Ooh.
0: So you're both going to be doing the EMDR.
2: EMDR powerhouse. Wow,
0: <laughs> that's exciting. That's yeah. very exciting.
2: It's just good to have that extra, mm. isn't it? Something extra. But I think I think that's that's what it's about. And actually, just hearing your experience and what like watching your face <laughs> is really fascinating for me because I've seen you know I've seen people talk about it and be like, wow, and I'm like, oh. <laughs>
1: this
0: is
2: really, it feels a bit magical
0: doesn't it, yeah, it feels no, magical. I always describe it as magic um because so my um I'm gonna go a bit off topic here but whatever my therapist described it to me like you know um on the Ribena advert it's like little black currents that run around Um, and she would describe it as like when you do the reprocessing all the little like black currents are in your amygdala is that right and then when you reprocess it they all like go out run around and then the good ones get to stay and the bad ones get thrown away so (laughs) initially I'm sat there thinking what on earth is going on here? <laughs> like, what am I paying for? Uh, which is then why she handed over the papers to be like, there is actually fact. It's not actually right in your brain. There is, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a, a
1: good
2: way, way to describe it. it. It sounds a bit like Willy Wonka, you know, when they knock on the, knock on <laughs> yeah. the nuts. Yeah. Kind of like throw it away, are they? I know. <laughs> they yeah. the uh, when Rachel um, was trained in that, I used to say, Rachel, please don't look at me don't do any magic (laughs) don't because I don't know what you it's like you might hypnotize me or whatever this is
1: I think that's I think that there's lots of uh you know there's lots of perceptions of what it might be but actually I think the one key thing on a serious note to mention is that uh everybody's brain has the capacity to heal itself Mm. you already Mm. have the tools it's just about finding a way to allow it to do that and that's why EMDR is, a, is so effective it you know you can go on about the neuroscience of it and stuff and I can explain a bit back to you but I won't go into all the details of it because I don't we won't have time but just in terms of like explaining it like that is a really good kind of way to help people understand even though it does sound a little bit bonkers but complex, <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> we're all complex aren't we this yeah is
0: the thing. yeah I love what you just said that we all have the capacity to heal. I think that's such a nice way of putting it. And like you said, it is just finding the way that works for you. And, yeah. you know, like we said at the start, that's not always going to be the same for everyone. And, you know, like you said, past, present and future, it could change day to day what you need. So I think that's why it's so good that you guys offer so many different things. Um, the other one that I wanted to ask you about was art therapy. And how that works with eating disorders.
1: Hmm. So again, um, art therapy or art psychotherapy. Um, what I found is um, because we are doing all our services online at the moment, sometimes that art can get, I mean, it can it can still be very effective. But what I have found is when people are doing art, if they do art within the session, sometimes it's you can use, lose little nuances, you know, if you can't quite see how the process is happening or someone's developing a, an image or whatever they might be doing. Um, I do use it as more of a tool at the moment to ask people to be creative throughout the week and to bring it in and to kind of feed that into some of our sessions. The, the, the concept is, is, is psychotherapy, but it uses art as a, another level, another layer to add to it. And it's about tapping into the unconscious because when we create something in a visual way, it does tap into to that, the, the side of things that you don't necessarily know are there or would even be a conscious thing. Um, and it's, it's definitely not something that I sit and judge and oh you have done lots of black. You must be really sad. You know, it's not about that. It's just about someone um, connecting with something that they have made and just asking them about it. What did they feel? What have they noticed? What's come up? That's curious. Let's turn it around. Let's look at it this way. It's just a really kind of way for someone to engage with their emotions on a very different level. And it's also another way that someone can communicate if someone's struggling to put something into words. And, you know, if they're using something visual, it's an expression for them. And it's to help me understand um, what they're communicating to me as well. Um, So it's kind of, it it just uses art as another element within the relationship.
0: Yeah I was going to ask that actually if you sometimes use it if if people are struggling to maybe communicate their needs or their emotions if that's something I don't know I always think I don't want this to sound how it's going to sound but I always think art therapy almost has a stigma as well in terms mm-hmm. of <clears throat> Um, I don't really know what it is but it's sometimes I don't think people quite which is why I wanted to ask you about it because um, I wanted to kind of you know get you know the reason why you guys do it and um how it works I think it can sometimes be
1: you're right it's because it's one that's slightly less well known if you say to someone oh I'm a psychotherapist they'll know mm. immediately but well, you know within reason what you're kind mm. of doing but when you put art in front of it it, it almost adds it's terror with some people because they say mm. I'm no good at art or I can't make you know I haven't done art since school and it sounds sounds like an art lesson which is Miles apart from what the intention is, you know, you can just use it as a therapeutic tool. As uh, someone that might enjoy it or just have a healthy relationship with with that. Mm. But what we find in when we're looking at people with eating disorders, they find it incredibly difficult to communicate and 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 sometimes get their needs met in a healthy way. So when you're looking at someone struggling to express themselves with words, perhaps, then we need to look at an alternative way of them doing that and offering them another tool um so you know it, it some people really engage with it others are less anxious about the process mm. but it's just about reassuring someone that it's not an art class it's not about skill or talent it is it's just about seeing what happens and working with that and just being quite playful and just noticing what comes up um and I think Yeah, and obviously you've got the kind of psychotherapy dynamic to it where you start to link it in with with things, and that's why it kind of works quite nicely if you want to bring the EMDR in as well at some point, you know. So you do that. Obviously, I wouldn't do some processing with someone one day in art therapy the next session or something. You know, there's certain systems to it, but you can incorporate incorporate the practices.
0: Do you find... um... Sometimes that kind of, um, I guess I'm specifically saying anorexia here, but kind of when people do the art therapy, they kind of have to
1: challenge that perfectionistic nature. Absolutely. Definitely. You do find, I, there is certain themes that run within um uh, Different presentations from people. So, if we want to be a kind of really stereotypical, which, you know, as we've just said, we don't want to be, we're looking at that. But you're right. If, say, perhaps someone's presented with anorexia, they might find that they are perfectionists, needing to feel that they're getting everything right, um, being very neat and controlled and contained. um, And perhaps I'd see themes like someone only using um, a pencil there's less play isn't there there is less play and it's it's
2: about identity isn't it yeah that kind of lack of identity being projected out so there's that barrier
0: yeah
2: and that play is, is
1: less isn't it you might find for instance someone with uh perhaps bulimia might be a lot more messy and playful with paint and things like that and again it's that kind of uh sitting with them kind of Eating, having feeding in them emotions and then being able to get rid of them emotions out, which is what you see happen with the art. So it can be a really like mirroring effect, if that makes sense. It's mm-hmm. not to say it's with everybody, mm-hmm. but there are certain themes that do come out that we notice.
0: Yeah, I can imagine that's such a um, such a like powerful, I guess, you know, way of challenging those behaviours, which I think I think often <clears> one <throat> well, not often, but sometimes when we think about eating disorders, it can be very much a food problem rather than those characteristics and those behaviors and challenging those and you know understanding where they come from. Um, so again, you know, I mean, I, I feel like I've, I've said it so many times, but I, that's why I love the work that you guys are doing because it's so diverse and really like covering all the grounds. Um, so the last question that I had for you. Um, which kind of feels kind of random now, but I'm going to ask anyway because I think it's it's not I mean it's not random, but um, you guys said <clears throat> at the start um, that you know it, if someone has a diagnosis or if they don't have a diagnosis, like you know that that doesn't matter. Um, ultimately, if if there's an issue, then you guys are there to support somebody. Um, so why why in your opinion do you think it's so important to help? somebody, you know, no matter what is kind of going on with them? That's a really big question. Isn't it's it? massive,
2: isn't it? <laughs> Huge. <handle. laughs> if we're trying to dissect it and split it apart, I suppose we part, partly have kind of founded TEDS on the premise that there's this gap in provision and people aren't being seen until they're very severely unwell what that looks like in uh, in practical terms is someone being very high risk so being a danger to themselves Mm. or others so particularly what you find is there's a lot of services that are it's all about being reactive and that's generally what people have access to so when we think about our service we don't want to be restricted or limited to set criteria that people then feel okay i haven't managed to get anywhere with the gp i haven't managed to get any haven't managed to get anywhere with you know the local local services and now i'm not going to get anywhere with these guys we, we don't want people to feel that way we obviously have to think about risk, we have to think about, you know, people that, you know, are fairly safe and stable and and able to engage and and we can do that as part of our assessment. But really, we didn't want to be another service that would have a multitude of boxes that people needed to tick or loops they needed to jump through in order to get some help. So we feel that by being in terms of the systemic issue. People will get seen, but you'll generally find that it's because they might be extremely, you know, their health is in major jeopardy. Mm-hmm. It's not because they've went to the GP and they've said, I'm really struggling and physically they're okay. So that's a that's a barrier in itself is that, you know, eating disorders are not about, you know, it's, you can't, tell someone's got an eating disorder just by looking at them
1: mm.
2: or disordered eating just by looking at them so we are not going to add we do have on our for example one of our criterias is we, we look at we look at bmis for example but if someone was a p- specific bmi and they said but i really want to change and i'm engaged and I'm, and i'm ready We would weigh a lot of things up and we wouldn't just say to them, no, I'm really sorry, you didn't tick that box, so we're not going to see you and then leave that person. So that's in terms of why it's important for people, a variety of people, it's because there's so many restrictions. We, We don't want to, people can have eating disorders and not be an extremely low BMI. And that's what I think the majority of people don't. And that's what a lot of people, it's another misconception, isn't it? I think in the field that, okay, you can see it, you know, or when someone is then weight restored, well, they're, they're all right. And, and that's not, that's often the very start of people moving mm. forward. And then we're just talking about there, we're talking coming back to anorexia. Again, that's telling in itself, isn't it? Because anorexia, I think the, the, the number around it is 8%. Of eating disorders are account, you know, counted for anorexia. Now, the reason Rachel and I have got lots of experience in that area is because we're in these systems. We've had a majority of experience within these systems who just see people at that at that end, you know, of, of the physical risk elements we, we can see. So the tick boxes are all done then and you're in. But by the time you're in, you might have been at home for five years struggling and things mm. have really taken hold and the family are in pieces. And th- so we're we're very passionate about being accessible so when people are ready for recovery or they, they want to engage rather than it being, okay, tell me about what weight you are. Tell me about this. Tell me about that. We just want people to be able to, if they motivate to engage, they have to be because we're therapists. <laughs> we can't make them do it. But if they want to, then we're gonna work with them. And that's why it's important because you can't, that's a very wooly answer, isn't it, to your question, but it's important because we have a lot of systems that people are accessing or trying to access that have a lot of tick box, a lot of red tape, so they can't get help there. So why would our service contribute to that? We, We want to be accessible and we're realistic, you know we can manage risk we work with gps you know and the key bit is is the motivation that Mm. they they want to engage and it's not that yeah i'm i'm every day you know yeah because that's not motivation motivation varies all the time but what it's about is i really need some help and i really want to engage Mm. and and that's that's why it's so important because people don't have these kind of they have, there's a lot of barriers out there at the moment, and a lot of gaps in provision, and people are struggling, and we know that now more than ever because of where we're placed now, you know, and, and it's it's really sad, and we we want to make a difference in that sense, so we want things to be easy, and that's why in developing the service we put we put a lot of effort into things being quite streamlined, you know, people can just send us a wee email. And we would just phone them back, you know, or you know, there's and it and we wanna keep it, we're looking at growing, petrified at growing. (laughs) (laughs) We want to keep it. We wanna keep it like
1: we don't wanna lose the
2: heart of it. Yeah. We don't want to lose the heart of it. But but the thing is, is, is we we've we've worked so hard to, as I say, to be, we wanna, we're hopeful. We want to fit in with people's lifestyles. We want them to be in life and say, I've got a problem mm. and be able to get some help and stay in life rather than their life having to diminish and everything having to diminish before they'll even get seen. And I, I do think it's important to mention that, you know, people with binge eating disorder and bulimia and, and OSFED and ARFED, you know, these other eating disorders, which are, are, are they are, you know it's hard for them to get seen Mm. because a lot of the the systems are set up about physical risk. So it's hard. And that's why, and then these groups are often missed, but, but we, we want to see people and keep them in life because what I've noticed, and I think what Rachel's noticed as a clinician is when all that's gone, it's really hard to Mm. to be hopeful and to move forward. Mm. So if we can keep people in life, and we can be flexible, and we can be cost, you know, realistic with our costs, and keep hope at the heart of it, and not have too many complicated processes to dishearten people after they've taken that huge step of reaching out, which is massive. Then that we think that that's us. That we've done a really good job. Then, you know, we're helping people, and that that's kind of what TEDs is about. I think, in a nutshell. So that's a big wooly answer Hannah.
0: (laughs) Sorry that's your big wooly question. (laughs) It was a massive question but I think um, it's, it's so so important like you said you know access to care is really restricted and you know I think unfortunately at the moment you do have to be in quite a compromised state in order to access treatment and then I personally don't think that the treatment you do receive is enough because I, I think you know it it's massively about food and it's about weight and once those boxes are ticked in terms of you know you're, you're kind of getting there now uh, off you go so the fact that you guys are able to offer a service that means you know if somebody's having an issue with you know food or their body or whatever they can come to you they can talk about things it can be dynamic they can plan for the future and you know you just said there about um you know being in the moment with them and allowing them to carry on living their life because so often you see people that yeah they start going through recovery but that eating is gone what's what's replacing it you know I think we kind of there's more discussion about it now but There are some positives to an eating disorder. I don't actually think that the positives, when you think about them, actually are positives. I think actually it's kind of your mind tricking you, but there's something keeping you holding on. Um, So to then let go of that and not have Mm -hmm. that, that's a massive hole that needs filling, which I think that currently is what maybe we don't necessarily get the support for in treatment. And then you're kind of like, well, what am I now? You know
1: what? I think you're right. You're absolutely right. Cause it's like it's like kicking someone's crutch away. It's got a broken leg. Mm. You can't just immediately take someone's eating disorder away because it's serving a purpose and it's mm. it's got a function there. And there's that's why there's a lot of ambivalence about recovery about someone taking on that. You know, losing this. Eating disorder that has come become something to them, you know. It's an identity,
2: isn't it? You know,
1: and this is where an occupational therapy focus is important,
2: bringing it in. So, you know, it's often someone's identity, and often when I was working in private, you know, NHS services, it really was. It was their main role. It structured their day. It gave them routine. It gave them purpose. It gave them, you know, and all of this is maladaptive and unhealthy but it still stands Mm -hmm. and it it was still serving that function and and very much part of that person's identity and and then part of the system that we're living in. And then maybe there were a problem within that system. And there was so so much stuff to unpick. But, But the thing is, is if you can, what's really heartening is that we have a diverse range of people that we have contact with, but, you know, because we're morally in the community, you know, we can see that People still have identity. Mm. They still have parts of themselves that haven't been eroded yet, mm. and that's a system issue as well. And we could go and talking about this for a long time. <laughs> you know, that's a system issue. That's, and I often say that to people. You're you're connecting there, Hannah, with with you know when people are in dire kind of physical places. Well, people are now being discharged at BMIs of thirteen.
0: Mm.
2: You know now, what message does that send to someone? You know that that message. So I often spent a long time undoing that message and saying, "Well, this is not normal. This is not healthy. This is a system issue. This isn't this isn't right." Because back when I started practicing, what well, eleven years ago or whatever, you know, people would be discharged at BMIs of twenty or twenty-one or even kept on certain programs for two years after being a BMI 21. Now, again, I'm not completely, BMI system is a separate issue completely, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. that's the way they work. And generally it gives you a kind of good rough range of where someone's at in terms of their body functioning. So, but if you think about the change in system there, so what messages is that sending to people? Mm. That they're not ill enough or that when they get, you know, discharged at BMI 13, that, you know there wasn't really a problem or that they're all right now or yeah. something like this so you have to spend a long time so undoing that and then saying no 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 think bigger please let's think bigger mm-hmm. and then when you're part of that system and you say think bigger it's really hard but you, just, you do it anyway just to, for the benefit of that person but where we are now you know we have people that are still in life and that's so important. And we have that experience as well to, to hold with us. To so think, you know, it's, it's, let's try and work with this. You know, we've still got identity. We've still got college. We've still got uni. We've still got work. We've still got you being a friend. We've still got you, you know, being a partner. We still, we've still got you somewhere. Yes, it's difficult. but You're still functioning. And then that can help people in their recovery, rather than it all having to be eroded and then and then to start to start again Mm. for 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 what It's, it's it's a difficult thing and again that's a system issue
1: yeah
0: wow thank you so much I have loved this conversation and learning all about you um I think it's been brilliant so I hope you have both enjoyed yourself um and happy birthday when this comes out it will be your birthday which is so exciting I hope you have cake and balloons and confetti and everything
1: oh, that you meant yeah. to do oh yeah we definitely will
2: yeah no thank you Hannah it's been lovely mm. I could literally speech all night I think
0: <laughs> if only the podcast was like 10 hours long I think we'd be all right
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: we That'd might get really... a bit bored
2: but <laughs> yeah <laughs> <You> we didn't <laughs> <laughs> Uh, thank you so much for your time we really we really appreciate it we're so grateful yeah thank you so much
0: thank you if you enjoyed listening today you won't want to miss next week's episode so be sure to subscribe eating disorders are crippling illnesses but with the right support they can be recovered from we really hope you enjoyed this episode but if you require more support right now please look into charities such as first steps and beat for support or talk to someone you trust